law school. It's an investment in your future. But like all investments, without the right advice, it can lead to disaster. That's where Pre-Law Pro comes in. Whether you're exploring the law, navigating the admissions process, or need personalized career guidance, at Pre-Law Pro, we've got your back. Don't gamble on your future. Invest in it. Get started today at prelawpro.com. Law School. It's an investment in your future. But like all investments, without the right advice, it can lead to disaster. That's where Pre-Law Pro comes in. Whether you're exploring the law, navigating the admissions process, or need personalized career guidance, at Pre-Law Pro, we've got your back. Don't gamble on your future. Invest in it. Get started today at prelawpro.com. How can I make myself more competitive? How do I build my network? I want my career to go to the next level, but I don't really know where to start. I hate the job I am in. What else can I do? I want to work in healthcare, but I don't want to be a doctor. I need connections in a new industry. Where should I start? Whether you're a college student trying to decide on a career path, a young professional trying to develop their career, or maybe you're in the mid to late stages of your own professional journey and you're looking for a new challenge, or maybe you're facing an unexpected job search. Whoever you are, wherever you are, welcome to the Professionists Podcast. And together, let's find your fit. Welcome back to another episode of the Professionist Podcast. Today's guest is living proof that with some creative thinking, hard work, and a dream, you can seek out a career that suits both your skills and your interests. He's one of the nation's leading nightlife promoters with over 20 years in the industry, and after a career as a college recruiter, he went on to found Red Horizon Entertainment, which was an exclusive 21 and over and special event and concierge service based in Los Angeles. In 2013, he co-founded LostAngels.org, a non-profit dedicated to serving the less fortunate and homeless population in Los Angeles, and soon after that, he became a partner in sports marketing agency Inclusive. After four years in the sports marketing world, he went on to earn his credentials as both an NFL and an NBA certified contract negotiator. And then he founded Underdog Sports Agency, where he is today. When he isn't representing the nation's greatest sporting talent, he's investing in the next generation of professionals and entrepreneurs. You can find him on Twitter and on Instagram at the Johnny Cruz or on the web at www.thejohnnycruz.com. Johnny, welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Ben. Tell us a little bit about what you studied in college. Whoa, what I studied in college, what I wanted to study in college, or what I actually did. So, back when I was in college many moons ago, they didn't have an entrepreneurial or entrepreneurship major, and you know, coming into college, you know, that's, and really, to be honest, I didn't even, they didn't even, I don't even think they named it that. I remember a meeting with my academic advisor and he said, he asked me, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a businessman. Yeah. And he's like a businessman. He's like, what do you mean a businessman? And yeah, I want to own several companies. I want to be the, my own boss. I don't want to report to anyone. And he said, well, we don't have that as a major. And so he basically advised me, said, listen, why don't you write a proposal and petition to the vice president of academic affairs? And so that's what I did. I wrote a proposal and 
sent it to, emailed it over to the VP of, of Student Affairs, Dr. Watkins, I still remember that. And he reviewed it and he calls me and he's like, and he wanted to, you know, wanted more information because he's yeah. like, he wanted to know that I was serious about that. And he's like, all right. He asked me, he's like, what exactly do you want to do? I said, I want to own my own companies. I want to manage talent, music and in sports. And I just want, you know, be an investor. So you knew even then that what you wanted to do was represent talent. Not exactly. I was just trying to figure things out because, you know, mm. at the time I'm 18 years old and I'm just I'm dabbling in different things. So I'm I'm honestly I'm trying to figure life out. So I said, OK, let me dabble in this and see see where it takes me. Do you have any. So what did, did you actually get it approved and you, you studied entrepreneurship or how did that how did that work? Follow up, yes. Finishing out. So what ended up happening under his recommendation I ended up taking courses in part as part of my major. I ended up taking courses uh, in communications. One, because in order to be a successful entrepreneur or businessman, you've got to know how to communicate with people, mm-hmm. written and orally. And I also majored uh, or took classes in, in journalism and in marketing. So I combined all three things, communication, journalism, and marketing. And that was my entrepreneurial major which you know back they called it a it was a special major so if you look i got my certificate my degree right here hanging on my wall it says special major (laughs) (laughs) but it sounds like if you hadn't taken the initiative and some ownership of it you would have been stuck just in a major that didn't really give you the skill set that you were looking for right no you're absolutely right and yeah you know i never thought of that but it's crazy because you know looking years later i'm always and this is my frame of thinking. I'm always thinking of things that I could have could have done better in the past. And sometimes I hate that about me when I'm like, I could have majored in real estate, you know, and also been a real estate investor. I could have majored in finance, you know, in um, business administration or in, or in accounting, because also to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to know how to budget your money. Yeah. You know, you have to know finances, taxes. All that stuff, you know, being an entrepreneur, you have to know everything. And it's not the kind of stuff that gets taught in schools. It isn't. Yeah. Investing is not taught in high schools. Money management isn't really taught. And so you you find yourself in these situations where you you might want to start a business, but without the tools. Right. They teach you how to be in in college or in school. They teach you how to be an employee. That's what it is. Yeah. And I mean, I think entrepreneurship has just become so popular in the last five to 10 years, especially with the way social media has made it affordable to start and a lot easier to reach people, you know, and it gives you the ability to scale. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things is entrepreneurship can be very, very scary and it's a lone and it can be a lonely and very dark place. You know, and it really affects your relationships with your family, with your girlfriend, wife, or what have you, you know, because only you know that what you're passionate about, and sometimes other people don't see it. Yeah. And the only person that sees it is you, yourself. And you got to keep moving forward, even when everyone's saying, hey, Johnny, Johnny. <laughs> and a lot of praying, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of praying. <laughs> because sometimes you're just like, what did, what did, what did I get myself into? You yeah. Know? And you're just you know trying to figure things out on your own. 
What did you do after college? Did you transition straight into entrepreneurship? Because I know you, you went and you spent some time as a career counselor. Was that the first step after career recruiter? So I was offered a job as a uh, admissions counselor first. Okay. You know? So I worked in the admissions and records office, evaluating uh, applications for incoming uh, freshmen and, and transfer students. And that oh, that was so boring. I was in a cubicle and I was like, okay, this ain't, this ain't life. And quickly went to my boss and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I want to go out and recruit. And she looked at me and she was like, okay. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I had the coolest boss and, you know, she, you know, basically made a brand new title for me. And I was out and, you know, all of a sudden I became a college recruiter and my schedule literally was 5.30 in the morning, wake up because, you know, you got to beat the LA traffic. 5.30 5.30 a.m., wake up and be out of the house by 6.30 a.m. and sit in traffic and then just and then be at the school at 8 a.m. because that's when the classrooms uh, presentations start. You know, all the high schools, they don't, you know, every there's bells and you have that's when classes start. So you can't be yeah. late. So, yeah, that was my for eight years. I did that from 2002 to 2010. It sounds like it was a, a really good way to hone some of those skills, though, because I feel like high school kids might be the toughest audience sometimes, and you got to really present a very clear and believable message. You know what? This reminds me of one time I was at, um, they wanted me to, that the college advisor at San Fernando High School asked me to address the entire senior class. Say, so, yeah, not a problem. I get there, it's probably... I don't know, maybe about 800 students in the auditorium. And, you know, I was terrified. You know, I, I was terrified of public speaking. And so I got thrown to the sharks, you know, you're right. You know, I I went in there and, and high school kids are so, can be so rude. And, (laughs) And, uh, but, um, I caught everyone's attention and I yeah. g- gave a story, you know, of, of my journey, you know, transitioning from high school to, to, to college and everyone listened. I mean, you, you can hear a pin drop, you know, and I had them. That's when I knew I had them. I mean, it's such an important skill, it, it, almost ir- regardless of the industry you're in. But it's, you know, it's consistently something that people fear a lot is public speaking. Oh, yeah. And I was one of those people. I I remember and I was so glad that I wanted one thing is what I wanted to do is challenge myself. And because I had that fear, you know, and I took those communication classes and I'll never forget the first time I I went in front of the classroom and uh, made made my presentation. I think I might even started crying like I my one of my cheeks um, started shaking, quivering. My voice was definitely shaking. And but I got through it and then it just, you know, just you got to be repetitive. You got to just keep doing it over and over and over again. And that's what I did. And then it just kind of like, you know, then a few years later, like I said, I'm addressing the entire senior class at high school. I definitely got over over that fear. But it it was it was it was hard. I mean, I think that that says I mean, it says something about the importance of putting yourself in uncomfortable positions. Oh, yeah. You know, so that it's it's no longer uncomfortable. And that's one of those things about fear is that, yes, you are going to, you will be scared, but you just have to do it. You know, yeah. you got to be willing to make fear your ally. 
because it's um, an exhilarating feeling, you know? It's a rush. Yeah. Especially when you know people, you can see the people listening. Right. Right. Yeah. And especially, yeah, if they're attentive. Yeah. Yeah. So how did, how did you move from college recruiting to nightclubs and, and the entertainment promotional business? So everything I've done in my life has been simultaneous, you know, because um, I have a fear of failing. Hmm. And so, you know, you always get like uh, motivational speakers focus on one thing. You can only do one thing, you know, and that's not me. You know, I was a college recruiter and at the same exact time I say, you know what? And it didn't pay a lot of money. And just like I barely, it barely paid my rent. I just got in my first apartment in Canoga Park and I was just barely, you know, had enough money to pay my rent, get some food and that's it. And I'm like, all right, I need to do something else to make, you know, get some, make some extra income. So I saw the 19, the 18 and over college scene, you know, those promoters. I was like, okay, there's those guys. I see those guys making some money. And I said, I want to do that because I know a lot of people. So I said, let me do that. And I had to figure, that's another thing that I had to figure out on my own. And a friend of mine, Corey, who used to play basketball at Morningside and won the state championship, Corey Saffold. Corey calls me and he says, hey, I have a venue in Century City. I spoke to the owner Memorial Day weekend and he's not going to charge us anything. And we keep the, the entire door. Hmm. And I was like, are you serious? And he was like, yeah. I said, yeah, let's do it. So, you know, I put a bunch of birthdays together. It was, that's during the time of uh, of college graduation, you know. And so I'm telling some grads, hey, celebrate your graduation party here with me. And boom, next thing. I'm, and, and let me tell you, prior to that, I probably had like $5 in, in my bank account, if that. I was broke for years. You know, I didn't have any money. And that night, I think it was that one night, was that one change. It was yeah. that night. So I go from having like five bucks in my bank account. And by the time that event was over, I remember coming home and I put all the cash on, on the table and I just sat there and I stared at it because I could not believe that I had been broke, you know, yeah. and I've never had that type of money just right there at my disposal. And, you know, it was, it was somewhere around, I want to say about $5,000. And it was a lot. I mean, that money, I was just like, holy, I can't believe. <laughs> what am I, I going to do with this? Yeah, like I can't believe that I made this money. Yeah. And so I wanted to repeat this again. Me being me, I said, okay, I need to repeat this again. So I called Corey and I said, yo, I want that venue for June, in June. Because in my head, I was like, I got the UCs, you know, UCLA, UC Santa Barbara, UC Riverside, all those schools, UC Irvine, out here in Southern California. I was like, and I knew people that were graduating from there. Mm-hmm. And I called them. I said, yo, I'm doing your graduation party. They were like, hell yeah. So I was like, I had everything lined up. I called Corey and I, and I said to Corey, I was like, listen, can you give me a date over there? And uh, But I want full control. I, I want to do this by myself. He's like, no way. You have, you know, I got the venue. I have to be your partner. I said, listen, I'll give you 500 bucks if you give me this this venue, you know, for this date. He's like, not a chance. I was like, all right, cool. I actually bluffed. Sorry, Corey. I actually bluffed. And, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to just go to another venue. It's cool. 
he calls me back. All right, man, you can $500, but I want the $500 now. Not a problem. <laughs> I got a water $5,000 sitting here. So I gave him the 500 bucks. You know, he gives me the venue for, for the night. He books it for me. Boom. Again, we do it again. Another $5,000. And then I was like, all right, I'm getting the, you know, I know what to do now. And I just kept going, kept going, you know, once every month. I just kept repeating. So is that how Red Horizon came about? Yes. That's how it came about. And uh, I actually started doing the 18 overseen first and then eventually transitioned into the 21 overseen. But yeah. And what was it like starting out from this is your first business? What, what were some of the steep learning curves that you had to adjust to when you actually start making this a business as opposed to like a one-off gold strike? One of the things is me not having a mentor. It's such a, one, there's so much money in this business. So the last thing someone that is successful in the business wants to do is teach someone else that can potentially become their competitor. Yeah. So there's no one out there trying to teach you, okay, this is how you make money in this market right here. No way, no chance. It's not going to happen. Mm. So I had to figure everything, everything out on my own and, you know, which I didn't mind. I was like, and I made a lot of mistakes. You know, come to find out, the you know, years later, the reason that the owner of Harper's Bar and Grill, which was in Century City, the whole entire complex is is um, is uh, torn down now. I think there's they erected another uh, corporate office building there. But the reason I found out years later that the owner was willing to give us the venue for free is because he was making the majority of the money at the bar. Me, me, you know, not having anyone teach me. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I get to keep the money from the door from the I charge, you know, my my guests and I get to keep that cool, not knowing that I could have negotiated a deal with the owner, you know, for a percentage that which all the promoters do now. Mm -hmm. I had no clue again, like I had no one to teach me, you know. So years later, I was like, oh, my God, I don't believe this. All that money that I basically I felt like that I lost because I had no idea what I was doing. But you must have met some interesting, if, even if you didn't have someone to mentor. I know when you and I have talked in the past, you talked about how you, you got to meet a lot of people through that business that kind of led to the ultimate career where you are right now. So tell mm -hmm. us how you moved from Red Horizon Entertainment, which was the promotional side of the business, into the sports marketing side of things. Well, actually, it was the 18 and over that was a catalyst. Of mm. going into the sports marketing when i was doing the 18 over nightclubs that scene all of the athletes in college in southern california would come out to my events so eventually whether you played basketball football ran track all those college kids you know they were coming to my events so yeah. obviously every you know i had a guest list for anyone who wanted to get on the guest list and, you know, I'll get all these names. I didn't know who they were. So I'm like, all right, like, you know, you just have to be here by a certain time. That's how the guest list works. And then next thing I know, I was like, oh, wait a minute. There's, this is the guy who plays basketball at UCLA. Or this is the guy who plays football at USC. Or this is the guy that runs track, you know, at Cal State Northridge or what have you. And and that's why I'm meeting all these, you know, uh, you know, students who later, you know, as years later, some of them ended up becoming great friends multi-millionaires oh yeah multi-millionaires yeah, yeah you're right 
So did you kind of do that on the side or how did Inclusive come about? Did you find a a partner to work together with to kind of get into that industry or how did did that come about? So in 2010, I was completely burnt out. I was doing, being a college recruiter and I was doing the 18 and over nightlife scene and I was tired. Just so, like I said, I was waking up at 5.30 a.m. Yeah, you're working two full-time jobs. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing classroom presentations at from 8 a.m. all day, every hour. Because, you know, class each class is like an hour long. So every hour, every hour. I did that for eight years. And then turn around at nighttime, you know. Now I would go, would go home, go to sleep, and then wake up at like 8, 9 p.m. And go straight to the club go to work and be there until two, three in the morning. So I did that for and then turn around and get up again at five. Correct. Five thirty. Yeah. And then and correct. And and so I was burnt out two thousand ten and and the only reason I didn't leave the university working at the university was because my mom was like, you you'll lose your benefits, medical, dental, your four oh one K, things of that nature. And she was just you know, expressing her feelings not to leave the university because of all the um, benefits. And she was right. But by 2010, I was like, all right, I'm done. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I had made so much money doing the nightclubs. So and I had saved all my money. So I was like, all right, I can now leave. I, I'm comfortable with leaving the university now. So I ended up leaving in 2010. And then in the nightclub scene, I had a couple friends who ended up introducing me to my future business partner, Justin Giagrande, who at the time was also a nightclub promoter in Hollywood. He had came from, he was down in Florida during their heyday, their national championship back to back. The Tebow, the Tebow years. Yes. As a matter of fact, he ended up going to the, to the Heisman award show with Tim Tebow. So he's like, Hey, I have this idea, you know, of starting a sports marketing agency, you know, you know, a bunch of uh, athletes. So he's like, so do I. And it just made a lot of sense. And uh, I ended up becoming a partner and invested in the company. And that was great times. And, you know, we we built our client roster to 30 plus. We had, uh, oh man, we had a bunch of guys, you know, started with, uh, we did a deal with uh, Red Bull and, mm-hmm. uh, and John Wall. Then, what does it actually um, mean to be in sports marketing? Like, what does that actually entail? What does it look like? Is it negotiating with sponsors on behalf of athletes? Yes. Okay. So, how does that differ from being an agent? Well, it marketing agencies have relationships with brands already, right? Not all agents have those relationships with brands. The only relationships that agents have with brands is when they get a top pick and you know, these brands call them. Yeah. But marketing agencies, they have those relationships. So it's easier for them, you know, to... So you're kind of like a liaison between the agent and the the companies that might want to use their talent right. for promotional purposes. Right. And yeah. during that time, it was the advent of uh, social media, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Twitter was just a few years old. Instagram had just came out. So part of marketing is branding and social and, and social media management. Yeah. So that's a new thing, social media management. Oh, so yeah, that's right. I mean, it's big money. Big money. And like right prior to that, prior to the Instagram, athletes and talent, they were getting just started getting paid for tweets. 
you know, and the yeah. first part, for, for, from my knowledge, the first person to get paid for a tweet was actually Diddy. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And you can now monetize and now it's huge. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now everybody's trying to do it. Right. Yeah. YouTube, Instagram, you got your social media influencers, you know, you got, you know, these big brands like, um, where's that fashion brand that all the girls, the Instagram girls do? I can't even remember, but there's one brand that <laughs> this, I mean, every so single, many. yeah, there's, but yeah. there's one that all, like every girl, I swear, is like, they post about this brand, this fashion yeah. brand. Fashion Nova, I think. Yeah, Fashion Nova. Fashion Nova. So how did you go from starting this sports marketing business, starting to kind of really focus some of the skills and the talents you'd cultivated in the nightclub world? And you're starting to get a – it sounds like you're starting to get a little bit of a picture of what you want to do and what vehicle is going to be the best for you. How did you go from that to working with Gary Vee and his team? That's an interesting story. So in 2016 – Justin and I make our annual trip down to Mobile, Alabama for the annual senior bowl. So we gotcha. go out there. So we're going, you know, every year we were going out there to go recruit players. And we get in, we we fly into the New Orleans airport and we get a rental car and we're, you know, driving into, you know, through Louisiana, into uh, Mississippi and into Alabama. So during that ride, he had gotten a text. And I'm driving and he says to me, he's like, hey, you know, some guys want to meet us for a breakfast meeting tomorrow morning. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I said, well, who is it? And he's like, this guy named AJ. And but his brother's big on social media. And I said, who's his brother? He's like uh, some guy. He's like some guy named Gary V. Justin had no idea. He's like some guy named Gary V. And I looked at him and I'm driving and I look at him. I was like, dude, do you know who Gary V is? And. He was like, no, but at that time, this was 2016. Yeah, Gary V. May probably had about 18,000 followers somewhere in the somewhere around there. But I was one of those followers. I had um, yeah. saw some of his videos on Facebook, and I was like, oh, let me let me follow this guy. You know, I like how he talks, and and so I started following him. You know, maybe like six months to maybe to a year prior. And so when he said Gary V., I was like. I was like, really? Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's his brother. I was like, all right, set up that we, meeting. We're at that him, breakfast. We're yeah, going to be him, at that breakfast. Yeah. So he's like, all right, cool. He's like, I'm going to shoot him a text. You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're going to meet with them. And so we ended up bumping to those guys in um, at the game. And it was like, yo, we're on for tomorrow. We're like, yeah. And we ended up meeting with them. And, you know, they tell us that they had just started Vayner Sports. And their, their first client was actually Alvin Kamara you know, running back from the New Orleans Saints. And so on our way, after the meeting, on our way back to the airport, uh, me and Justin just discussed, like, we need to dissolve inclusive and align ourselves with Vayner Sports. So we get back to LA and we make the announcement and Justin become, ends up becoming the EVP. I end up bringing couple players over to the agency and that's when I said to myself you know what it was a little frustrating even back during the inclusive days asking the agent for permission to do marketing for the client because you know they would be so threatened and I was like hey like you don't need I'm just a marketing guy and they're like I don't know you know and I was like and I just said to myself I'm gonna cut the middle man I'm gonna go ahead and become the agent so you know I stepped away and it was uh, 
like a year-long journey, you know, the screening process, the application process, taking the exam. And mind you, I did not pass the very first time I took the NFLPA exam. And it just so happened that a week, maybe a week or two after I took the exam the first time in 2017, I applied for to join the um, Lee Steinberg career, sports career seminar. Shout out to those guys, you know, Chris Cabot and all those guys. So I ended up going to, to the agent seminar out in Newport Beach. And I had just prior to me going to that seminar, I had just finished reading uh, Lee Steinberg's book. Yeah. And and, and Lee Steinberg, for those who aren't familiar, is is kind of loosely the basis for for um, Jerry Maguire, right? That is correct. He's the yeah. GOAT. He, he's the agent GOAT. And so lo and behold, come to find out, Lee Steinberg, you know, I attended the same high school that Lee Steinberg went to, Hamilton High School, and I'm reading his book, and he ran track and cross country, and so did I, and so I was like, oh, you know, so, you know, I get to the career conference, and it was like a three-day conference, and the last day, the last day of the seminar, we get to do a one-on-one with Lee, and then I said, hey, Lee, I just want to share something with you, Uh, you know, I read your book, and uh, I see that you that you went to Hamilton High School, I ran track and cross country there. And he stops and looks at me. He's like, so you're a Yankee? I said, yes, I am. I'm a Yankee, Hamilton High School Yankee. And he's like, cool. So, you know, we hit it off or whatever. And so I shared with him. I said, listen, I just finished taking the exam and I just got notification that I didn't pass, that I didn't pass the exam. And he says, he's like, don't worry about it. He said, you're taking next year and you're going to pass. Yeah. You know, and I was like, and that was all the, you know, the motivation I needed, that I needed. And sure enough, you know, I said, you know, I went into into that, you know, studying for the following year. I said, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to pass this exam. It's a very difficult exam. Even lawyers, all my friends that are lawyers that have taken that exam, they say that it's comparable to the bar exam. It does sound like a lot. Because, I mean, you, you don't have to be a lawyer to be an agent, and but you're going to be held to a pretty similar standard. Oh, yeah. And so the yeah, second time though, you took it? Yeah, I, the second time I, you know, I took it, I was ready. I had stu- I literally studied for six months prior to taking the exam every single day, whether it was minimum three hours every single day I was studying. And what's in the exam itself? What kind of things are they are they asking you to to cover off on oh man some ridiculous questions i mean is it's like the it's almost like is this a trick question you know (laughs) like messes with your mind you know because some of them are really like trick questions they're so easy some that you're like is this a trick question and then some are paragraph long and you have to do some calculations you know 10 different calculations to get to the final answer and, and you're figuring out, you, like, is this clause allowed in a player's contract? What is the, how's this playing with the cap? Player A, you know, this scenario. Player B, this scenario with agent A gets fired. You know, all kinds of crazy stuff on there. 60 questions and you get three hours. And yeah, it was uh, pretty I traumatizing. Think- <laughs> Well, I think it's one of those industries that seems very sexy. You know, like we think of Jerry Maguire, you think of The Rock in the HBO series Ballers. 
What differences are there between the portrayal and reality? Yes, it is very sexy, I will say. But what they don't show, like HBO ballers, they don't show is the, you know, the agent, you know, studying for the exam and, you know, stuff like they didn't show that part. But there's it is definitely a roller coaster ride like the show portrayed. You know, you get you you can get fired by your client one day and you're down. And then next thing you know, boom, you have another client and it take and you can take off. You know, same thing happened with me with um, one of my clients over at Inclusive. I, uh, Martavis Bryant, former wide receiver from the Pittsburgh Steelers, who had just came out of Clemson, you know, was one, one of our clients. We did marketing for him, social media management, everything. You know, he gets into a little trouble with the NFL for substance abuse and gets suspended three times. Gets traded over with the Oakland Raiders at the time. And, you know, I mean, I think it's pretty much safe to say while Martavis was playing, he was probably top 15 um, wide receiver in the league. Some say even top 10 while he was playing, Yeah, you know, and he calls me out the blue. You know, he this is he's going through all, you know, the stuff with the league. And he calls me out the blue because we we had a great relationship. And he's like, hey, Johnny, you know, I, you know, I'm leaving my former agent. Or I just, sorry, he said he had just left his former agent. And he's like, I want you to be my new, my, my, my new agent. So I was happy. I was ecstatic. But at the same time, I was like, oh boy, I got a lot of work to do here. Yeah. You know? Do you find, like, when you look at your colleagues who are, who are lawyers, do you kind of wish you had that background? Or has it been one of those things where, you really haven't had to have that background. You've just had to have a really good knowledge of the rules that apply specifically to the player association criteria. It definitely helps. One thing with me is that I had prior experience with negotiating contracts and music. Mm. So I can, you know, and when it comes to music contracts, talent, booking contracts, those type of contracts, I mean, I'm, I just, I'm just, I can go through them real fast. Boom, 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 you know? So that was my experience. And I'm like, okay, you know, doing um, negotiating contracts with NFL players, NBA players can't be that much more difficult. And uh, once I got, you know, the the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, you know, going through that, I was like, all right, well, you have the CBA, like everything's right there. All the information is right there at your disposal. Unlike... In music, there is no CBA, there is no collective bargaining agreement that, or someone that you can refer, or some document that you can see, this is how you negotiate a music contract. That doesn't exist. Yeah. So I guess, I guess one of the questions I have is, what does an agent actually do? Because I think you talked about what a marketing, sports marketing guy would do, which is like liaising between agent and and a company they're doing a a deal with, are you managing their money? Are you managing their preparation for combines and drafts and and that kind of stuff? Are you having to put money up up front? And how does the business of agency actually work? Well, let me start with this. You know, I I was told I get calls and messages on LinkedIn all the time from, from college students who, you know, want to be agents. And I tell them there's two types of agents. One agent 
is very good at contract negotiation. And agent number two is very good at, he has relationships. He's very good at recruiting. Now, very rarely you have agents that are good at both. Those do exist. And then obviously when you become, you land, you know, several clients, successful clients, then you get, you know, you get to have a team, build a team around you, right? Which is critical. But there's a lot of agents, the majority of agents are solo, you know, they're just have their own agency by themselves and they got to figure it out on their own. There's not but, like a bunch of firms that they can go and work for like a law firm. They're, they're, they tend to be sole agents, essentially, with maybe some support staff. Yeah, no, like agents are two definitions of hustlers, in my opinion. <laughs> and But I'll say this, if you, you can know how to negotiate a contract all day long, but if you don't have relationships and know how to recruit, you're not signing it. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. But but how do you do that? If you're thinking about coming out of college and becoming an agent or you're in a career that you don't really want to pursue, kind of like where you were, and you decide, you know what, I think I want to give this sports agency a go, how do you even start? What would be your advice for someone looking to get into it? How do you even start? I mean, first, you get, foremost, you got to have a passion for sports. You know, do you have to know one particular sport exceedingly well, or does it help to have kind of a general knowledge of what's going on? You know what? For me, because I love football and basketball so much, it's easier for me. So I wouldn't know how someone who doesn't love sports, how they would approach it. I have no idea. But me as being, you know, a fan of, the, of both sports, you know, it just made it easier for me. Like passion was there. You know, Do you have to have kind of a, an encyclopedia type knowledge of all of the stats of your players? And is it is it hard to jump from, say, hockey to, to basketball or baseball? Yeah. Well, because I don't know hockey, I wouldn't become an agent in the NHL. I'm sure they have NHL Players Association. They have mm-hmm. to. I don't even know an H- NHL agent, but I'm sure that person, you know, follows the sport. I wouldn't become an NHL agent because I don't know anything about that sport. I couldn't tell you anything outside of Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> he might be the only person I know in hockey. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it'd be very difficult, you know, to become an agent in some in a sport that you don't know anything. And like I can, for me, football and basketball, I can go. Man, five. I was five years old staring at, at TV watching football, watching basketball, track. I love track too. Track, yeah. boxing, MMA. Like those are, those are my passionate sports that I, you know, I remember, I remember I was, as a matter of fact, I was just talking to uh, AJ from Vayner Sports not too long ago because they just added a component of representing MMA fighters. Uh-huh. You know, so I text him and, you know, congratulating him. And, uh, you know, I, I just had a chuckle because I told him, I'm like, Hey, AJ, I'm a UFC nerd. You know, I can tell you things that happen in UFC 1, UFC 3, UFC 15, when Tito Ortiz came in, Chuck Liddell came in, you know, when Tank Abbott was, you know, knocking these guys out. I remember all of that stuff, you know, <laughs> same, same, same thing with, uh, same thing with, with, with football. You know, I, I remember, uh, you know, being a little kid and watching the 85 Bears, you know, and, it's, and, you know, during the 90s, uh, Joe Montana, you know, all those guys. I remember all that stuff. 
basketball too. You know, I can name you all those basketball players that that weren't the superstars, the you know, the deadlift shrimp, you know, play for the Sonics, you know, you know, all those guys. So, yeah. Is it easier than, so you talked before about how hard it was in the nightclub game to get someone to kind of mentor you and give you some of the tools. And it sounds like just knowing the game is not going to be enough. You need to have one of those skill sets, the relational skill set or the contractual negotiation skill set. If I'm, you know, a young professional college student or someone looking to make a change, is the culture similar to nightclub promotion where people aren't willing to help? Or do you find that most agents that you interact with are willing to kind of help cultivate the next generation of agents? Yeah, no, they definitely are very helpful. For example, perfect example, Lee Steinberg with his annual agent career seminar, you know, and he's really one of the first people to kick it off. And I'm sure he's like, hey, let me, you know, pay it forward and help the younger, younger guys you know, out, you know, and he, he didn't have to do that because yes, there are those agents that, I mean, they're just not approachable, Yeah, you know, and they don't want anything to do with you. You know, if you ask one question, that's too many questions. Yeah. Yeah. There's those guys out there. So would you recommend folks go and try and get some experience working with collegiate athletes, maybe as a manager while they're in college or, you know, trying to get some experience in marketing? What kind of experience do you think would help people pivot into agency representation? Yes, definitely all of the above, definitely in social media management. You know, I think the contract negotiation thing, how do you really learn that? You know, I don't think there, I mean, unless you go to law school or, you know, I'm, I'm like I said, in my case, I was negotiating contracts in music and with talent, you know, but that's just, a, you know, a different animal that'll come during why you got to, why you have to while you're studying for the exam, then you get more of the lay of the land, of yeah. how you know that works. But yeah, if if you uh, one advice that I give everyone is uh, intern for 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 an agent or an agency. Yeah, I mean that's how you really get watch your it and see it happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Currently, I have two interns right now. One from uh, FAMU, and then another student from Rutgers University, and them to work you know he's like okay you guys you guys said you guys want to learn i'll show you yeah learn by doing yeah exactly so what kind of salaries can people expect because it seems like it's not something that you get paid a retainer for like a set a set salary it's like you do the deals you get a cut you do the deals you get a cut and those who do the deals get paid and those who don't are eating beans on toast this is definitely an industry is where you eat what you kill Hmm. plain and simple no one's giving you a salary. No one's giving you, you know, it's basically you sign your player. You go, so you got to hustle. Yeah. You got to hustle. What kind of salary do you think uh, like a young, you know, mid twenties trying to make a, a go of it in an agent as an, sorry, as a sports agent or working in an agency, kind of like 60, 70 kind of K coming out. And then once they start getting accredited and they start doing their own deals, that's when the, the real kind of coin can start coming in. No, no, I don't have, know anyone that's going to give a uh, someone who wants to be an agent at an agency sixty or seventy k. Yeah, I just don't see it. I mean, unless you're like the director of marketing or something like that. But once, like I said, this is an industry where you eat what you kill, and a lot of times, what happens is an agent who's been solo uh, with his own agency, he's you know landed 
few players, five to 10 players, and he'll get bought out by a bigger agency, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he'll join that bigger agency and then he can negotiate his, his uh, salary. Cause like, Hey, I'm bringing all these players with me to the agency. But yeah, you, uh, until that, you know, bigger agents are like, well, what do you have? You haven't signed anything. So why would I give you $60,000? So it's, it's almost no like pl- the kind of thing that when you're starting out, it sounds like you do it as a side gig first until it really starts to generate some viability. And then that's when you kind of pivot into doing it full time. Exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. So what's a regular day look like for a sports agent? Or is there such a thing as a regular day? No, there isn't. There's a lot of text messaging. There's a lot of, you know, following, you know, scouting on your own, doing your own, yeah, research in your local area. You know, I'm blessed I'm in Southern California. California is the Golden State, produces a lot of basketball and football players, you know. So Mm -hmm. I already know because I have that background. Remember, I had that background as a college recruiter. So I knew, okay, Westchester High School, that's where the basketball players are. Crenshaw was, and these were all my schools where that was a, a college recruiter at. Oh, Crenshaw High School, football players and basketball players. Taft has the track players and football players. Birmingham has the football players, you know. So on in Long Beach Poly, track, football, and, and basketball. So, you know, I, I know all these things. And what role do you play in crisis management? Do you have a PR team that handles that or is an agent you know, some photos come out or something happens. What role do you play in that? Yeah, you got to be. No, I do not have a crisis management team, but that's. So in my PR class, when I took PR classes in, in college, I remember we had crisis management scenarios and I remember all that. So, of course, when, you know, I, a few times I, I had to deal with some crisis management with some of my clients and you got to just do the best that you can, you know, and being a a father figure, a mentor, a big brother, you know, it's like, hey, you know, avoid these pitfalls. Do this, not that. Look at this guy. This is not what to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you wear so many hats as an agent, you know, like, to be honest, and I've, from working as a college recruiter, working in nightlife and being an agent. Trust me, I've seen it all. Yeah. I've seen it all. I mean, I, one of the things I think I have certainly heard a lot of is, is this statistic, and I, this is probably not the accurate statistic, but something in the order of 75% of professional athletes are either broke or in financial dire straits, disarray, whatever you want to call it, within three years of leaving whichever league they're in. And we talked earlier about the fact that we don't teach entrepreneurship or business skills as much as we really should in in school. What do you do as an agent to help equip your clients so that they don't fall into that 75%? Yes, that statistic is very true. And, you know, one thing that I tell my clients is like to avoid that, hey, hey, you know, there's some ways that you can avoid those traps. And one is, and I've fallen into that trap just being an entrepreneur, similar trap yeah. to being an entrepreneur. You know, I tell tell my clients, learn how to budget your money, especially during your rookie contract. Your second contract, you can be, you know, kind of like do what what you want to do. And you you still got to keep it a little conservative, you know, but you got to look at the long term effect of your finances because you don't want it. And I've got 
you know, stories and, and, and links um, on my phone, you know, like, for example, what happened with uh, the GQ article with happened to T.O., Terrell Owens. Like, how do you lose $85 million? Yeah. Come to find out, and, you know, you read that article, is his assistant, his manager, his agent, his lawyer, his girlfriend, his all these people were taking from him. Yeah. Another story that came out a couple of years ago was with Kevin Garnett. Same thing. You know, his business partners, lawyers, you know, so you, the, I mean, financial all advisors, financial advisors, to be honest, I don't recommend players during their, to have a, get a financial advisor during a rookie, during a rookie contract. You know, you can, you can manage, you know, with enough education, you can manage your own money, like by yourself. Yeah, you just, squirrel, all you squirrel need, as much of it away as you can. All you need is discipline. That's yeah. all you need is discipline. But what you shouldn't have somebody telling you, hey, you know, and then this is not knocking financial advisors. You know, there's a lot of honest financial advisors out there. But And a time sh- and a place for that too. But maybe like you're saying, the rookie career is the rookie contract is not the, the place for it. It isn't. Mm. It's not. Even when in nightlife, for example, when my clients – my inclusive clients, um, you know, they all want to go. It's inevitable. All, you know, they're young guys. They all always want to go out at night, party it up. And so what I'll tell them, I was like, all right, get two, three of them, four of them, or even five of them together. You know, a table, a table at a nightclub would cost you what, like 15, minimum $1,500, mm-hmm. right? And then you guys just split it. Now you got, you know, thanks to technology, you got Venmo, Cash App. And then, you know, when the final bill comes out, 1500 with the, you know, in California with the tax and tip, you're looking at about 1950 and 1950, you divide it by five and then you just cap, cash app each other. But there's no reason that someone should be, you know, I mean, I've seen it and these guys got like, I've seen it with the guys with. 50, 60, $75 million contracts, you know, blow, you know, $50,000 in the nightclub. I've seen that. Yeah. In a single night. In a single night. But they're going to do what that, at the end of the day, they're going to do what they want to do, you know? And, but if you're my client, you're not doing that. I'm not going to (laughs) allow that. No way. Well, a happy client is going to be one who knows you've got their back and, you know, you're acting in their best interest. Right. What do you think is ahead for sports agency? You know, because we see in a lot of industries, law, medicine, management, consulting, technology is changing the way business is done. What do you think are some of the changes you foresee coming to the world of talent representation and and in particular sports agency? Well, you're always going to need someone to negotiate a contract on your behalf. A computer can't do that because at the end of the day, the league, they're serving in their own best interest, Right. So you need an extra pair of eyeballs to look through it and, you know, interpret that information back to the player and their family or their team. So marketing endorsement deals, yes, I can see that, you know, there's an app, a platform called Open Doors. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but they have athletes who register themselves on the platform. And then they got these brands that contact Open Doors like, hey, we got promotional we're doing some promotions for new boxing glove. You yeah. know, we, we need some male and female boxers. Cool. Go on their side and go look at all the all the athletes that fall under 
those boxers look at their records and so let's say is it you know is it going to be some synergy there that that, that, is it going to work out and and do you as an agent kind of get involved in that process at all yes yes definitely because you just want to you ask them you want to make sure it's like is this a good deal and is this suit our image brand message whatever it might be yeah now you see in, in the college sports now college athletes student athletes are now going to be able to benefit from their likeness so that's definitely you know it's new do you you think college students will ever get paid of course because they've been threatened you know there's leagues just the other day i saw an article on on nbc that they uh there's a young basketball league for 16 and 18 year olds right 16 18 that's going to they want to pay a hundred thousand dollars per player Wow. Wow. And remember, LeVar Ball was talking about that years ago. You know, everyone called him crazy yeah. for, for, for his idea. And it looks so you really like think it's, it's a matter of time before the colleges have to stump up some cash? They have to because if someone starts a league, right, and you don't have to, and you don't have to go to college, and then they, and someone starts a league where they, they can get paid, these students are like, I'm going to the league so I can make some money, right? Yeah. And then – College football and college basketball will definitely get hit, and that is their bread and butter. You know that that's where a lot of the money is generated to run the institution. So imagine that's right a powerhouse losing star players. What are you going to do? Yeah, where are they going to? When are they going to source that talent to put a hundred thousand people in a stadium? That I wanted to turn Johnny, if I could, just to a couple of questions that we had from from our listeners. I had a message from uh, Jenny from South Carolina, and she said, I have thought that I've needed to go to law school, but I don't really want to be a lawyer. I do want to be a sports agent, and I want to work in the WNBA, but I don't know where to start. I'm a first-generation college student. Where do I start? What what advice would you have for, for her? Well, Jenny, I, you know, I would uh, do some research. I obviously, go on there, start with the WNBA website, and look at, you know, the guidelines and uh, guidelines restrictions on becoming a, a WNBA agent, you know, because their criteria may be different from the MBPA. So look at their criteria. Some may not, you know, require for you to, to, to have a law degree or even a master's degree and just a bachelor's degree. So, yeah, I, I would start there first. And then, of course, like like I said previously, intern for a for a WNBA agent you know so you can gain some experience you know those experiences even though even if it's free you're, and even if you're not getting paid that's fine I'd, I'd rather you know not get paid and intern somewhere where I know I can get valuable experience than go get paid a lot of money and, and do something that I don't want to do yeah and that doesn't move you closer to being what you actually want to be exactly yeah. The second question is from Leon. He's in Dallas. And Leon's been working in the insurance sales industry for 15 years. He's got a family and a mortgage, but wants to get out and get into some kind of talent representation, whether that's sports or music, and just feels a little bit of pressure because you've got all these other responsibilities. What advice would you have for someone like Leon who maybe isn't in a position to go and take an unpaid internship? Well, I would definitely recommend, you know, we got tw- we have 24 hours in a day. Obviously, you know, you have your 
regular job. I don't know, you know, how many hours, you know, you're committed to that job, but I'm sure you have those extra hours right there to commit and say, you know, every day and say, okay, let me have, I have uh, four hours, you know, this window of four hours every day that I can commit to doing my research, you know, and especially right now during COVID is a lot of uh, my two interns that I have right now are virtual interns. I mean, meaning not virtual, but meaning we're there, yeah. everything, they're not coming into our office. You know, they're one is in Florida at FAMU, the other one's in New Jersey at Rutgers University. And we communicate remotely. We set our Zoom call once, you know, once uh, a week, you know, we give each other updates. And, you know, I was like, all right, guys, this is what I need from you guys this week. And then we check in with each other once a week on via Zoom. So, yeah, there, there's there's ways around it, you know, you just got to want it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The The last question I want is to, to run by you is, uh, I think, kind of close to your heart, given some of the stuff that you've done in your career. Joseph's a first-generation college student. He's now a young professional, but he feels frustrated because he doesn't have a mentor and he doesn't have a natural network through family and friends. What advice would you have for him to to start cultivating that network and and maybe finding a mentor or two. Where is he from again? He's from Florida. Florida. What city? Orlando. Um, what's his name again? Sorry, Joseph. Joseph. I would recommend Joseph to. Uh, I'm sure there are agents in Orlando, and reach out to them. And obviously, when you're not an internship, when you're not getting paid, it's rare. I mean that agents are like turn free, you know, free work, you know? So they're like, if you, and and if you can make yourself valuable, like, you know, how to put together some spreadsheets, you know, that can help an agent uh, for his, his recruitment, his next class of um, recruitment process, then, you know, you, all of a sudden you make yourself valuable. So yeah, you just got to be creative. You know, it's like, if you know how to do graphic design, if you're very good at managing social media, you know, if you know all the tricks and hacks on managing um, your Instagram page and you can help build followers for for, for some student or athletes, there, there's a lot of creative ways and things that you can do. But first... But it, but it all involves a bit of sweat and a bit of effort. Right. It does. Yeah. Johnny, this has been really helpful. Appreciate your time. If you are interested in following Johnny, as I said, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at the Johnny Cruz. But you can also go and find him on the web and his link to internships and, and applications associated with that are all at his website, which is www.thejohnnycruz.com. And as I said, he's the founder of Underdog Sports. Johnny, thanks so much for joining us here on The Professionists. Thank you so much, Ben.